Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and this week I'm joined by Allison Levin, Vice President of Ad Sales and Strategy at Roku. It's upfront season, and Roku, which just held its new front presentation this week, is in the thick of negotiations. The platform, which has spent the past few years building out its advertising business, recently acquired the rights to Quibi's content and is now making a push into originals and branded content. While Roku reaches more than 51 million households in the U.S. with its streaming device, competition is heating up as major networks continue to launch their own streaming apps, further fragmenting consumer attention. Hey, Allison. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, So I'm excited to chat with you because Roku just had its new front. Um, this week and upfronts are coming up. So it's definitely a busy season for you. Talk a little bit about what the season has been like so far. Um, How are the conversations going with advertisers? Yeah, it's um, it is a really, this is a big week for us, but it's a really exciting time of year as well. It's the second year that we've had a new front. We've actually never done them in person. So hopefully that that happens for us next year. But we've, of course, been part of an upfront negotiation for longer than that. And I think what's what's exciting about it for Roku, and I'm sure for the industry at large, it's like a real moment to take a step back and look at just how the business is doing to date and how Roku's messaging, how TV streaming is really hitting in the market. And you know, a couple of things that we're looking at, how well is our education helping on the shifts out of linear and into streaming is the data that we're providing overall on measurement, helping to show the power of the platform. And, and this is a real moment in time where we can take a step back and just look at how that story is resonating in the marketplace. And so for us, I'd say, you know, looking now and we're already having these upfront negotiations, both on the hold co overall level, but also on the client specific level are four key things. One of which is just that streaming is mainstream and that TV is really starting with streaming and starting with Roku. And that has really changed over the last few years. There aren't any clients at this point who don't understand the power of streaming and what it can provide and the necessity to really move budgets out of linear and, and into Roku's platform. And so now like the real question is how much should they move depending on what their goals are and what their client type is. And one of the things that we often say is, and we heard this from one of the heads of investment is the recommendation on all clients to buy TV like you watch TV, period. And that really helps them to make the right decisions at the end of the day to reach the consumers that are streaming. For us, you know, we're seeing as we continue to work with all hold codes, they're growing more than 100% year over year. We saw more first-time new clients in the third quarter. So, so that has really been exciting for us. And that's definitely resonating for sure. Yeah. I mean, even, even from last year, like I know you guys have been out in the market telling the story for a long time and, and we've been talking about this for a long time, but I think in the past year, streaming really, really hit an inflection point. Do you see that recognition among advertisers this year? Are they ready to um, embrace that fully? Yeah. I mean, that is absolutely what, what we're seeing. And I think it's, I think there's a couple of things that happened all at the same time. Like from our perspective, we've been, to your point, really talking about this in market. And the number one way we've been focusing on it is, is to put the data in the advertiser's hands. 
help them to understand what consumers are doing, how they're moving out of linear and into streaming. You know, uh, half of TV's time spent with 18 to 34 year olds is now in streaming, for instance. But it also is just a, a product that fit marketers needs better, especially after COVID hit. More flexibility, the ability to find more precise audiences, the ability to measure it and optimize in real time. And so all of those things just helped to move forward, you know, streaming to really change uh, the percentage that's going to be allocated. And this year, historically, what we saw was streaming was, was planned after linear budgets were planned. But that's not happening this year. And in many cases, it's actually being planned before linear to get as much reach as possible in streaming and then to, to leverage linear to, to fill in the holes there, which is which is definitely a, um, a switch from what we saw historically. Yeah, that is a switch. Um, so I want to talk about, um, you know, flexibility and, and all of that. But there is one thing that, you know, whenever I talk to marketers, they, they'd say like linear TV is still the only place you can get deliver on your reach goals, like and reach a broad audience. That's why they're still spending so much at the Oscars, even though the ratings were down by more than 50%. They're spending so much on the Super Bowl. What is streaming's answer to that? Does streaming have like a clear solution for that? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And I'd say I was like, what we hear consistently over the last six and a half years are two misconceptions about streaming. One of which is that, to your point, it doesn't drive reach in the way that linear drives reach. And then the other that we've heard historically is that there's no way, there's no holistic measurement on it. And I think early on, you know, maybe five, four or five years ago, some of those concerns were really valid. But the progress and the acceleration on active accounts has been substantial. You know, on Roku's end, just taking the first one around reach, you know, Roku has over 51 million active households, and that's our Q4 number. Um, and, you know, from a streamer perspective, that's nearly 150 million streamers. The Roku channel alone reaches over 60 million streamers. So the audience is large, it's growing, it's watching ad-supported content, and so, you know, I think, and then you look at the Oscars, which had significant declines in ratings year over year. So I do think that's a, a, a misconception in the marketplace that we've been really helping clients better understand. But then that goes hand in hand with the second one, which is around measurement and helping brands to understand in real time measurement across every single platform that they're running. And you know this, but like, you know, if I'm Coca-Cola, I really care about how many times my video ad reached Allison's household, not how many times it was reached on linear or just on streaming or just on desktop or just on mobile. And our partnership with Nielsen that we've announced a, a couple weeks ago is really going to help on that front to provide clients with one real-time view of Nielsen so they can understand holistic reach and frequency. So we think you know that's really going to help shine more light on on your question around reach and help advertisers allocate to find the consumers because they've already moved and now the budgets need to move as well. Right. You're right. It is a little nuanced because it's the reach is there. People are streaming. It's just fragmented reach in the way it's being sold. So I guess that's where you guys come in <laughs> with your uh, device uh, footprint. But um, so let's talk a little bit more about um, you brought up a good point before about how last year with the with the pandemic, which really hit like right before upfront season was was getting started, uh, brands got a little freaked out, right? They they wanted to move their money, they wanted to pause, and they were in these contracts that locked them in to these buys for a year. So streaming at that point started to seem a lot more appealing for many reasons. 
So heading into this year's upfront, like do advertisers, are they hesitant to lock into big upfront deals? Are they looking for more flexibility? What are you hearing around that? Yeah. I mean, from our perspective, there's more interest than ever before, but to your point, it has to be in the right way that works for them. Um, So we are seeing continued focus on flexibility and a continued focus on real-time measurement to be able to optimize and make decisions quickly, um, you know, as well as precision. So I think the needs have the interest to be able to provide visibility into a full year's budget, um, to be able to buy uh, important tent poles that matter to an advertiser, to be able to lock in certain audiences at a certain time of the year. Those things all really matter. But there also needs to be a bit of a give on the other side, which we've been really committed to helping our advertisers with the ability to turn on or off a campaign if you need to, if something like, you know, COVID happens again or gets worse, Um, the ability to optimize as you need to in real time as well. So, you know, those are all areas that have been, you know, really came to the top of the priority list after COVID hit and continue to stay up there from our perspective. Yeah. Do you, um, do you think that like, are you hearing more flexible, are they actually pushing for more flexible deal terms essentially? Because I know, you know, in the past you really, there weren't any that like wasn't on the table, but now I guess networks are more willing to, to give that. Yeah. I mean, we've been hearing, you know, different things from our partners as far as what, you know, others in the space are offering from our perspective, I'd say we're, we're focused on two things in the upfront. One is just making it as frictionless as possible for clients to get onto the platform um, and to transact And then the second is to let them measure it in a way that they need to, to help make decisions and continue to follow the consumers. So on the first part part is flexibility and everything that comes with that. So for us in the the upfront, we're offering two-day options. So we're going even beyond the IAB standards, which is typically two weeks. And if an advertiser needs to cancel, they can cancel two days ahead of time. So as, as much flexibility as possible. The other is equivalized pricing, which allows them to really move the linear budgets into streaming. Um, many people might not know this, but in linear, you know, a 30-second spot is double the cost of a 15-second spot. Um, and in streaming, everything is the same price. Yet we brought equivalized 15 pricing into the market last year, and we're expanding that as well. So that... Um, you know, as well, two-day options as well as equivalent pricing has really been helping brands on, on the flexibility front. And I know you mentioned that you are you have a partnership with Nielsen, which sort of gives you like the de facto currency still for for how TV is planned, bought and measured. But what how else is measurement improving in the TV to streaming um, world? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, from from our from day one, when we started the business, the number one thing that we've been trying to do is to get the data and the research in the hands of as many marketers as possible. Because what we were continuing to see on our end is just how powerful the platform is because of the precision capabilities, because of you know the, the lower ad load, all the things that make streaming as powerful as it is. So not only have we been working with Nielsen for years now to help brands transition out of linear and into streaming, but we've also been really focused on lower funnel uh, KPIs so that they can understand true performance return on ad spend for every dollar they put into the platform. So I think like a great example of that is our Kroger partnership. So historically, 
CPGs usually transact on age and gender and linear, right? Like they just really go for anyone who's adult 18 to 49. What we're seeing with our Clover partnership is a lot of our CPG clients are leaning in to using this precise targeting capabilities, matching the number one grocer in the U.S. with the number one streaming platform in the U.S. and allowing brands to find the right audience who's in the market for pretzels, for instance. And then we can help them with the return on ad spend using that precise targeting who actually went to the Kroger supermarket and bought those pretzels. And we continuously see data that comes back that shows a significant increase on return on ad spend when buying in that way. So for us, we have our our measurement partner program, which has over 20 measurement partners and helps with everything from purchase like Kroger to did we drive someone to the dealership location? Do we drive someone to visit your website and more? It's it's a really um, large focus area for us because we know it's what helps clients to make the best decisions with, with their media dollars. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing that's that's changing about TV and CTV is the way that you transact, right? So I know, you know, Roku has OneView, it's a programmatic platform. Are you how how are you seeing brands use that versus buying from you directly? Yeah, that's a great question. From our perspective, and this also goes to the area of making it as frictionless as possible, we've always wanted to try to help advertisers transact in a way that makes sense for them. And we're continuously seeing uh, an importance and all of the benefits of automated buying, especially in streaming TV, because you can, because it has digital piping, you're able to find the right audience, but also optimize in real time through a platform. And OneView has been a top priority for us. We just came up on our, our one year anniversary of the, the relaunch. And the reason that our advertisers have really been excited about it is you're able to take the data that we have on our platform, our first party data connection to consumers, the measurement that we've been prioritizing, but you're now able to apply that to any streaming TV buy you have, or even desktop and mobile, and having one place to understand holistic reach and frequency, but also holistic performance, and to make real-time decisions off of that has been incredibly important for clients. So so we're really seeing a lot of clients uh, leaning towards that and even some more traditional clients looking to leverage it as a measurement platform to just understand holistic reach and frequency as it's happening in real time and to make better allocation decisions moving forward. Right. Well, re- well frequency has been an issue on on connected TV, right? Is that because basically the this the different sales organizations are so fragmented, so it's easy to get served the same ad multiple times. Is that, is OneView solving for that? Exactly. So you're able to then see frequency across anything that's happening in streaming, regardless of what, of what uh, channel partner that is. And we call our apps channel partners, regardless of where you buy it, you can control frequency. But another really important part, which makes OneView so different is that we also add in the linear data. So you can now see across linear streaming, desktop and mobile, your holistic frequency and turn your frequency up or down depending on what's happening in the linear space. So using the same Coca-Cola example, if you don't want to hit that audience too many times um, and you've already hit Allison's household on linear, you just suppress that household overall in streaming. So you don't hit you again. On the other side, if you are a cord cutter and we need to increase your frequency in streaming, we can do that as well. 
And then adding to that too is, is our other side of the announcement with Nielsen, but our DAI, dynamic ad insertion. So coming soon will also be the ability to help with that too in, in the linear space, adding precision to, to linear inventory, which is a really exciting development as well. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely new. Um, so last year, there was this conversation in the industry about the timing of the upfronts. Um, Mark Pritchard, the chief brand officer of Procter & Gamble, made a big speech about it, about how it's arbitrary and antiquated, I think may have been his word. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the, t- the, the idea of the upfront season? Is it necessary? I mean, now shows are dropping all the time, so there's not really a broadcast season anymore or a TV season anymore. So what's the value of this, this upfront timeline? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think from our perspective, we do see the value in locking in certain audiences and certain products that are more scarce. You know, for instance, if you have your own CRM segments and you know the audience that you want to reach and you want to make sure that you reach them during a certain time of the year, or even think about tax season, you know, with TurboTax. If you know you've got a couple months in the market, you want to make sure you hit your audience X amount of times, you know, buying up front and locking in that inventory to hit those goals is really important. Another example is we're seeing clients really excited about our brand experiences. So aligning with major cultural streaming moments like we saw with March Madness and others. And, you know, there's only a certain amount of those experiences that an advertiser can buy. So you want to lock out competitors, you want to lock it in, you know, that that's really important for that to continue. But for the rest of it, you know, we do believe it's going to move to an always on a more dynamic marketplace, a marketplace that's bought in an automated fashion um, where brands can make decisions in real time based on what they need to accomplish, what reach they want to achieve, what frequency they're looking for, what goals they might have. So I think we're going to see some sort of upfront and the ability to lock in inventory and lock in more scarce products stay. But I do think we're going to also see more automated buying, more flexible buying coming as well in the upcoming years. Right. So maybe potentially the upfront won't be quite as big of a moment as it used to be then. Yeah, I think so. CTV streaming, it's getting crowded. I don't have to tell you that (laughs) there's been 15 different something plus (laughs) that launched in the past year. Disney plus AMC plus Discovery plus you name it. Um, Roku has a little bit of a different value proposition, right? Because you own the pipes, you are the device. Um, and you also have the Roku channel, which is your own ad inventory that you can sell. Talk about what makes um, Roku, you know, stand out to an ad buyer that now has so many options in streaming. Yeah, I mean, I think, and you're hitting on this too. You know, when we when we first started, it was us and Hulu and a couple, you know, Crackle, maybe a couple others that were talking about streaming. And I will say, like, the more people who talk about it, who provide education on it, who can help double down on how large this audience is, the better for everyone. And there, there are the consumers are there and the advertisers still have to catch up. And the more education that's out there in the marketplace, the better. And for us, and as, as you had said, like, we're the platform. So when our channel partners succeed, we succeed, right? And, and, and the better they can monetize their channel, the better, the more they invest in that channel and the better it is for Roku's consumers, Roku's platform. It's really a flywheel and it all works together. And, and one of the key elements to that too is 
that consumers very often correlate the ad experience you see on a channel and it might not be our channel, it might not be the Roku channel, but with Roku and maybe not the channel itself, right? So like if you've had a, a bad ad experience on a, a channel that doesn't, you know, that we don't own, but is on Roku, you might associate that with, with Roku overall. So we're really um, leaned into making the ad experience the best ad experience possible for all consumers across the platform. Helping with frequency is one key way to do that, to your point earlier, helping make sure that all the ads are reaching the right audience because targeted ads are better than non-targeted ads. All of those things really, really matter in the ecosystem. And so from our perspective, you know, with that being said, I'd say the, the things that have always made Roku unique are, you know, three key areas. One is just our scale, right? So having, you know, being the number one streaming platform in the U.S., over 51 million active households, you know, we, we compete in the land of giants, yet we've always been the largest, and, and that's been continuing. The second is our tech. So the tech that's owned and operated that we've invested in from, from day one, including OneView, um, which, of course, is a priority for us. And then the third, and I think maybe the most important, is our first-party connection to consumers. So when a consumer logs onto their Roku device, they enter their email address, their billing information, et cetera. So at the end of the day, when you think about the ad platforms that are really successful in advertising because they drive ROI for a marketer, they have all of those three. They have scale, they have their own great tech, and they have a direct connection to consumers and better data. And that really matters when you're thinking about, especially lower funnel metrics as well, which streaming offers. So we continue to see top performance for our clients because we have all three of those working for us. And I think when you look just over the ecosystem, there are a lot of partners that might have one uh, one or two, but not all three. And so our top focus is to help some of the partners that might not have all three, for instance, might not have a direct connection to consumers by leveraging OneView to make that connection happen to help power their ad ecosystem. Right. So you have an interesting relationship with the the channel partners or apps on your platform, you know, in on the one hand, on the one hand it's a rising tides lifts all boats, but on the other, you know, there's been some famous disputes. Uh, most recently YouTube TV was just pulled off of the Roku platform because of a carriage dispute. Do you see, um, you know, how is Roku handling that competitive relationship with channel partners and do you see more of these issues coming up. I mean, there was HBO Max last year. Um, talk a little bit about how you handle these. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, um, you know, there's been, it's oh, for us, we've always had partners on the platform that have also had competing businesses. And it's honestly, what's been ma- made us so successful to date too, is our ability to work alongside them too. You know, we've had Amazon on the platform from day one. YouTube's been on the platform from day one. All of these partners, were, our devices are sold on Amazon, for instance, right? And, and so, you know, we've been partners with them. They see great success with running on our platform. And, you know, our number one focus is just to make it the best consumer experience, which, you know, does require investment from our side to help make that happen. And so, you know, for us... You know, we're focused on the consumer, making it the best ad experience and and making sure channel partners get everything that they need to be successful on the platform. And, uh, you know, as Roku gets bigger, as these channel partners get bigger, as there's more pressure behind the growth of these channel partners, I think the the 
the um, negotiations just get more publicized. But they've always been a part of the business is just to to make sure we can align on what the deals that we need to strike are. Right. It's interesting. And and then in some cases that, you know, when you talk about Amazon and, and Google, like they're also selling their own competitive products to Roku in terms of the platform. Um, but for them, it's not necessarily like their whole business, right? They have Amazon does it so that they can sell more toilet paper, basically. Like, how do you um, how do you keep up with companies that have such deep pockets? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think what many people might not realize is we've been competing against these companies from day one. Um, and so, you know, we've been competing in a land of giants since the day Anthony Wood launched the business. And, and so our reason that we've been so successful is because we are experts in streaming. We focus on it and we're executing better. So for, for us, you know, you see that in the numbers and in what we report on our devices, you see it in the monetization that we're seeing across the platform. And so, you know, we just, we wake up every day and think about streaming and that's it. And so how do we make streaming better for consumers, better for advertisers, better, better for channel partners. And, and that focus and that expertise has helped us to, to succeed to date. So another interesting thing going on at Roku is the originals uh, push that you're making now. Roku acquired the rights to Quibi's content. Remember Quibi? Um, <laughs> and um, now you have a branded content studio. Talk about how you see, first, how you see original content playing into Roku's strategy going forward. Another place with a lot of deep pockets and investment. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. We... Um, you know, just for some background too, when we launched the Roku channel, um, you know, a couple of years ago, the reason we launched it was the number one search term on Roku.com is free. Consumers are looking for free content. And we knew based on the data we had and what we saw happening on the platform that consumers were looking for a place to supplement the subscriptions that they already had. The Roku channel has been the fastest growing channel in the platform's history um, has over 60 million streamers. Consumers have loved both the on-demand content, but also the live content. And for us, this is really our home of innovation on, on the ad product side. It's where we can test new products first. It's where we can make sure we have the best consumer experience because it's all owned and operated, of course. Um, and then the one element that we didn't have in the platform was never been seen before content. And we want to do it in a way that makes sense to Roku overall. And so Quibi offered a really great way to do that. 75 never seen before content is really incredible content. Consumers just didn't like potentially the model of how that content was delivered historically. So we're really excited to bring that into the Roku channel. Another example is this old house, which is, you know, which we acquired and is coming to the Roku channel too. But I think an important thing to note too, is that we are doing it in a way that's a Roku way especially when we talk to advertisers about it. And what we mean by that is brand integrations that all tie to ROI, for instance. So this old house integration, which is a home improvement show where an advertiser can be in the show, but then also tie it to attribution. Did that place, did that car placement drive someone to visit a dealership location? How do we help amplify that partnership with a brand experience that's targeted to the right audience, not just to everyone? So I do think it's um, we're really excited about it. We're so excited to have the ability to go deeper with advertisers to create experiences beyond a 15 or 30 second spot, but to do it in a way that's really Roku, that's focused on 
precision, focus on accountability uh, and measurement. Yeah, I want to talk about, you know, the future of of ad experiences on TV. But for the Quibi content, it's short, it's all short form, right? Are you seeing people want to watch that type of content on a on a CT, on a connected TV? Yeah, it's still episodic. So we're going to be stitching and more to come. It's launching um, this month. I don't know if we have a date yet to, to announce, but we are stitching it together, too. So people can watch it and, you know, keep watching it in a longer form um, experience. But yeah, I mean, from our perspective, there's a lot of content being watched across the platform, not just, you know, TV shows and movies, but, you know, short form content, live content, you know, consumers basically are spending their time sitting in front of the TV screen, but streaming now. So yeah, we're really excited to see, see how it performs and we're sharing that. Cool. Um, and you launched a, a branded content studio as well. And you were just sort of getting into some of the cool ways that you can integrate brands with your shows. Um, you just launched a partnership with Maker's Mark for your first brand integration. Talk a little bit about that and what you see um, doing with brands in that space. Yeah, so we're really excited. I mean, one of the one of the key things talking about like our earlier point of like what are advertisers leaning into? And one of the things that we continuously hear is that there's a lot of interest to move beyond a 15 or 30 second spot to create a diff, a deeper connection to a consumer. And as the platform, you know, we have the ability to ha- to allow a brand to connect to a consumer when they turn on their TV screen, the largest real estate in the house, right? So our focus has been, how do we help these partners to tell that story in a way that's really appealing to consumers? And a good example of this is, you know, what we've been doing with major sports temples. For instance, with the Super Bowl, TurboTax sponsored the Super Bowl. When you turned on your Roku device leading up to the Super Bowl, you were able to see all the places that you can watch it, all the channels that were free. TurboTax commercial was part of that experience, but also was um, a custom content video that had past Super Bowl players in it where TurboTax was weaved throughout it. So just making a really interesting, robust experience with the brand integrated into a cultural moment and content that really resonates with Roku's audience. And then that all is tied to holistic measurement. So did people who were exposed to that go to the website? Did they sign up to do their taxes? How do we suppress them in the future and extensions for retargeting on desktop, mobile, et cetera? So we have, and that's really what the, the brand studio will be helping with creating content to allow us to go deeper in these key cultural moments or create content for these advertisers in particular, which is what we're doing for Maker's Mark and launch it across the platform. So 51 million active households have the ability to see it. And then we also can help them understand if this drove the results that they were looking to accomplish. Right. Are you, so are you thinking of it more as like the TurboTax example um, or is it more, are brands going to be launching their own branded series even? Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. And I think it, it probably will be both, but our number one focus is to create really big moments that have a lot of elements to them. So, you know, I think it, the example of, of Super Bowl is a perfect one where you can create, you know, uh, a couple of short shows that lead up to the Super Bowl that have your brand integrated into it cut down 15 and 30 second spots that have a brand integrated into it where we create custom content for streaming, but also surrounded by the places you can watch, you know, additional content, right? So making it a really robust um, place for, for advertisers, because 
again, you know, we want to do it in a way that's unique to Roku, that's different in the marketplace, and that really creates the best consumer experience. Right, right. And yeah, I mean, consumers are, are obviously have gotten a little bit, you know, turned off by interruptive advertising. I think there's enough research and, and numbers about ad blocker usage out there. Um, what do you think is going to be the future of TV advertising? A little crystal ball question for you. Yeah. I mean, I, from our perspective, we, we see consistently and we spend a lot of time digging into this from, with consumers on our platform is that consumers don't mind ads as long as they're not annoying, right? And the frequency is right, that they're relevant, so they're targeted, and that they're interesting, right? And then the last piece and the creative piece is the one that we're really excited to partner with clients to, di- to dive deeper into. I think a really good example is thinking about the last... Did you see The Last Dance by chance? The, the yeah, um, I did not. Didn't. Oh, Allison. You I should watch not, it. You should watch it. I'm not, I don't know if you're a sports fan. I'm not a major sports fan. My team always makes fun of me on this. Like, I, the, yeah, it's hard for me to speak to it, but I watched that. It's like, it's so fantastic. But there was a State Farm co-branded ad that ran right before the show came back on that was, it made you feel like you were, it was part of the show and it was funny. And so, you know, though, and that stuck out with, to me, right? It's like a perfect example. So we really want to help our advertisers to create commercial spots that are more integrated, that can link to what's happening in the moment, the content that they're watching. Um, and so we think that there's going to be a really big focus on creative storytelling and streaming because that's been an undertapped market. And then the other place that we're really excited about is, is diving more into what kind of actions are consumers going to take with commercial spots and streaming? Are they going to start to buy products through it? Um, are, we already see that consumers are interested to interact with things like coupons, to find more information about a location, things like that. So going deeper on that front too. Um, but the brand studio is an area of focus because it helps a brand go deeper beyond a 15 or 30 second spot and find a consumer who might not watch any ad supported content, who might only watch Netflix and to, to tell them a story that, that matters to them. Right. So do you think, I mean, creative agencies bread and butter for forever has been the, the 30 second spot, the 60 second spot. Do you think they're ready for this change? And we we're really excited to partner with them and to help them, you know, together see, and, and I think, there's other examples of where this has worked well in the past in, in um, desktop and mobile. But what is the best creative for streaming? Is it a 15 second? Is it the 30 second? Should you have your should you have an overlay come up at a certain point to help with your messaging? You know, does QSR codes work? Like all of these questions, I think, are really important ones that we're excited to work hand in hand with creative agencies on to dive deeper into it and create best practices that that help with the rise in streaming and how we should talk to consumers. Awesome. Well, Allison, thank you for joining me. I'm excited to see what you guys come up with and good luck with the upfronts. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Allison. It's great. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry, and we'll see you next time.